Well, as Harrison said, uh, I am Casey Trewick, and I'm certainly not Chris Peters. <laughs> Senior pastor is away. So to any visitors, I pray my preaching will not scare you away. And I guess that goes for members, too. <laughs> so um, we'll be in Psalm 73 today. Psalm 73, and, and all jokes aside, too, I guess still a line from my father-in-law, instead of worrying about doing good, uh, we'll concern ourselves today with honoring the one who is good. Um, so Psalm 73, the word of the Lord says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, as people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks for who you are and your goodness and your glory, for your grace and your mercies, your Son. We give you thanks for the gospel and the hope that is in him. And we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that you do provide hope. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of suffering, or in the midst of inconvenience, there's always hope in you. We give you great thanks, and we pray that you open our hearts and our minds, that we would know you more, that we would love you more, that we would be equipped to serve you better, to bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray that the Spirit does work with your word and through your word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So don't get freaked out over the, that we read the whole psalm. <laughs> I promise we won't be here two hours. Um, but the way I wanted to approach the psalm is essentially 
looking at it in three sections, if you will, uh, with the middle section being a real honest uh, acknowledgement of someone's feelings about how they feel about other people and ultimately how they feel about God and kind of bookend that with the fact that God is indeed good and that there is hope in God and essentially bookend that with the gospel. So we start with the gospel. We go through a, you know, a series of issues that this guy has with uh, unbelievers and the wicked, and then we get back to the gospel. In a sense, the psalmist here remembers the gospel. Uh, and so he wants to help us remember the gospel. So we, we start here in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, and, and hopefully and prayerfully that I will stick very close to the text here. Um, but verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's like an abrupt start here to this psalm. He doesn't just ease into this eternally valuable truth to us, right? He slaps us in the face with it. It's just like any of us, if we have some good news, we don't go into all the details first, right? We don't hit somebody with all the detail. We tell them the good news first. Uh, for example, if a, you know, if a woman finds a good man, you know, they don't go and tell her girlfriend, you know, I had a, you know, I had an encounter with a friend. We went to a show and we had dinner and we talked for hours. She says, first, I found a great guy, right? And then they go in to all the details. Or uh, for us guys, it's like if we're watching the fourth quarter of a game and our lovely bride has something for us to do and we can't TiVo at the end of the game because Cupcake Wars or CSI Miami is already being recorded. But so we... So we're, a, so we're a good husband, and we go, and we do a half-butt job because we want to get it done so we can come back and watch the game, right? But you know, it never fails that we miss the end of the game. And so what do we do? We either turn on to ESPN so we can see the ticker to see the score, or we get on the computer or our phone to find out exactly what happened, and then we'll get the details later on SportsCenter, right? We'll get all the highlights. This is essentially what we have here, that the psalmist here is hitting us with the greatest news possible helping us to acknowledge that God truly is good, right? In the midst of all these things that we read, in the midst of all this um, suffering, if you will, for, for, this, uh, for this writer, God is indeed good, and he's better, and he's worth any inconvenience, any frustration, any suffering uh, that we may go through. So let's then take a look at some of these like we said, some of these honest feelings that the psalmist has toward unbelievers, and like we said, ultimately to God, um, feelings of you know, bitterness and anger and jealousy, uh, covetousness even. I mean, he, he certainly confesses that. Uh, so let's take a look at some of these verses uh, 3 and 4. Uh, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He calls these people arrogant and wicked. Verse 4, he describes them as fat. Uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9, he continues. He says they're violent. Uh, he continue, He makes another remark about their fatness. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. So not only are they wicked, you know, that overflows out of their wicked heart. They scoff and speak with malice. They threaten oppression, and they set their mouths against the things of the heavens. So their mouth is terrible, right? They're, they're harsh. They want to hurt you with their words. You know, they talk about the things of, of God in certainly a negative way. 
But let's also not just look at um, how he describes these people, but also take a look at how he describes himself. In verse 3, what does he say? He said, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right? He describes them as prosperous. He was envious of their prosperity, of their wealth, of their things, of their life, as it were. Um, So we have this long laundry list, the psalm here, 28 verses, and this long laundry list of gripes and complaints and groans and moans about the wicked, right, and how he's envious of them. And he continues on in verse 5. You know, not only are they wicked, not only do they talk negative about other people and they want to oppress people with their words and talk harshly to them and talk bad about the things of God, um, but he also describes them as they have no pains until death, verse 4. Verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Verse 12, they are always, these are wicked people and they are always at ease. They increase in their riches. So not only are these terrible people, but they increase in their riches and their prosperity and they're always at ease. They have an easy life, as it were. So he gripes, of fact, he gripes about the fact that they seemingly have no problems at all. Uh, evil and wicked people, no health issues, no crisis, uh, and no shape or form, it seems, that exists in their life. Um, He basically is saying that, you know, they don't have any problems at all, and they just keep on getting richer, they keep on getting fatter, they keep on having a a better life than I have, basically, is what he's getting to. And so it continues (laughs) uh, in verses 13 and 14. So not only is he describing them as, you know, wicked people, and they're prosperous, but they just, even though they're wicked, they, you know, they increase in their wealth. But then he takes another approach, and he says in verses 13 and 14, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So he's pointing out the fact that these are wicked people. An easy life. They talk about things of God. Their mouths are against the heavens, as it were. And they have this easy, comfortable, convenient life. And here I have kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence, and all the day long I have been stricken. I'm rebuked every morning. He's essentially saying he's done all the right things, right? And this is how he's repaid. He takes this approach like God is indebted to him. He goes on to say that you know, not only are these pagans evil and wicked and they increase, but I have none of what they have. And in fact, I have a hard life. And I'm a good person. I keep my heart clean. I do what I'm supposed to do, right? And I would ask that while we, while we go through this text to search our own hearts and our own lives and see if we've had any of these thoughts, to see if we need to be convicted of any of this, to see if God needs to grant us any repentance for these type of thoughts. Because more than likely, if we haven't been there or we're not there now, we probably will experience this. So he's saying, look, God, I've done all of this for you, right? You know, I come to church, I read scriptures, I pray, you know, I try to teach my kids about you and bring them to church. 
I give money to the church. You know, I'm not an alcoholic wife beater. You know, I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted to pornography. I'm a good person. And this is how you repay me. By essentially throwing all these wicked people in my face who despise you, talk about you. They don't do the things to grow the kingdom. They don't do things because they love you. They don't do things because they honor you. But I do, and I have none of what they have, right? And for us, it's like, you know, there's, there's times in our lives when it seems things just snowball. You know, let's just be honest and be real. Life is hard. And it's hard for different people in different ways at different times. But nevertheless, it is tough. And unfortunately, and sometimes it seems as if the harder it gets, it just snowballs, right? It's like Murphy's Law on steroids, and he comes to camp out at your house, and everything just gets worse and worse and worse. And then when we compare our lives to seemingly the wicked and how easy and convenient their lives are, we have some real issues there. And just like the psalmist here, in the end, it goes back to how we think about God, right? It goes back to what we know about him. Is he really good? Like the psalmist says in verse 1. You know, and so we have to remember, in a sense, the gospel. You know, as far as the psalmist is concerned, he wanted to get the good news out that God is good. And then he goes through this long, long laundry list of issues and how he felt. And here toward the end of the psalm, he gets back to the gospel, to remembering the gospel. And when we say that we remember the gospel, it's not the fact that we totally forget the gospel, right? But it's a sense, in a sense that we need to be remembered. It, almost as if um, we have tr- trinkets or whatever from our grandparents that we have in our house, and we walk by them, and we remember those moments that we had with people that we love. Right? It's not that we ever forget our grandparents. Right? It's not that we ever forget the gospel, but that we need to be remembered. Um, and um, here we have in verse, uh, sorry, 21. Like we were saying, it, it really becomes an issue of how we think about God. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered. When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Uh, in, the, in the end here, he realizes his issue isn't with the pagans. His issue isn't with the wicked. His issue is with God. Right? He was like a beast toward God. But as we said, he gets to the gospel here. And how did that happen? Well, back up to verse 16. He sought to understand you know, what was going on in his life. He thought to understand how he was thinking about life, right? And what did he do? He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. He found understanding in the sanctuary of God, where we go to hear God's word preached, where we go to pray with other believers, where we go to fellowship with other believers and pray the scriptures and sing about God and his goodness and his mercies, right? That's one huge reason why what we do here in church matters. Instead of being 
a group of anonymous people with anonymous situations and just general sufferings and inconveniences. We can come together as a people, as real people with real problems, who honor and worship and serve a real God who has real answers, and that ultimately is Christ. Instead of coming and just... And just some generic washing all over our, our sins, as it were, and then going out of here and, and, and still being in the same boat or situation that we've always been in, having the same perspective uh, as far as the psalmist has, in that we look at the world in terms of being fair or unfair or the, the wicked have this, but I don't have this, and I'm a good person. Instead of doing that, we come into the sanctuary of God and we learn who God is, and we learn who we are. We try to understand our situation through that lens, through the lens of the gospel. So, is that it? I mean, is that, is that all? I mean, is that is that the only thing that happened to him? He, you know, he came to, came to church one Sunday, and then he was okay, or he was good, or you know, he went on about his business. Well, let's let's continue to look. Um, it says he discerned their end, and so instead of focusing on things that the world has to offer, he, he looked at Christ. He looked at eternity. He looked at what does God have to offer. And so, and then, I mean, ultimately he realizes that all the good things these wicked people have in this life, they're going to fade away, right? And so in the end, we see that he doesn't desire the prosperity or the wealth or the ease or the convenience of life that the wicked enjoyed, right? He enjoyed and desired sought after God, for God, you know, not the things that God gives us. You know, he sought after the gift giver, not the gifts, right? So uh, let's, look, can, uh, let's go ahead and continue on to uh, verse 23. It says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For me personally, some of the richest words in all of scripture my flesh and my heart may fail but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever like i said life life's hard right and it's hard for different people in different ways different contexts may not be as hard today as it was last week Uh, your life may be a lot harder next week than it is this week but at some point it it's going to get hard and at some point, we have to have some reference point. I know in my own life, I have to relate so well to my flesh and my heart may fail. Like I said about Murphy's Law and steroids, when life just seems to snowball out of control, and we want, we, we want something desperately to change, but not necessarily, but we don't ever necessarily think about changing our perspective on things, right? Um, we don't necessarily think about all of these issues are temporary. All of these inconveniences are temporary. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, regardless of what it is that we're going through, regardless of what it is that we're facing. 
God is good. And He is our strength. He has to be, right? I mean, how many times have we tried to handle situations or life or problems, whatever it is, even good things, and it blows up in our face? Right? We can't handle everything that life throws at us, but God can, and God uses it, and God handles it. And we have to remember that God is indeed good. Not only that, but verse 23, the psalmist says, You hold my right hand. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. Again, do you think some of this is in the sanctuary of God where he goes? Of of course it is. Where we hear the word of God preached. Um, Where we go and pray. Where we go and sing and worship. You think this is some of the counsel that he's talking about where he's being guided? And he's being guided back to God, as it were. Being guided back to the gospel. The good news that God is good and there is hope in Christ. And he realizes, again, everything that he had envied, everything that he had wanted, the prosperity, the riches, the ease of life, the convenience, he realizes it's all rubbish and that the only thing he desires is indeed God. In other Psalms, Psalm 16:2, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Verse 5 says, the Lord is my chosen portion and cup. David says in Psalm 42, as a deer pants, for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Philippians 3, 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I like what John Piper says uh, about this. He says, sometimes the heart catches a greater, clearer, holier picture of the stark contrast between the worth of God and all that he has made. And so that the best way to describe this stark contrast is to describe it and say that God is all and the rest is as nothing. Back to verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we're talking about the gospel. And isn't, the, isn't it these people for whom Christ died? Isn't it these people for whom Christ died, right? The poor in spirit. Those who are spiritually bankrupt and know it. <laughs> they have nothing to bring. All right, just like that hymn, Nothing in thy hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. It's these people, right? And so there is hope. And so the ultimate goal of the gospel is that these beggars, these poor and desperate, needy people, me and us, is that we can see and savor the beauty and the value of God. And again, not the gifts that God gives. One thing that I would caution us is that not to think of the gospel solely in terms of making bad people good. It certainly does that. But Christ didn't die so that we would wear Christian t-shirts or listen to Christian music or bake Christian cookies, right? 
instead of thinking of the gospel solely in terms of God, Christ died to make bad people good, let's maybe put more of an emphasis on Christ died to make the dead souls of men alive so that we would be transformed to live and to glorify God in the midst of stuff of life, right? So that we would bring him honor and glory regardless of what situations may come. Verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I would be remiss if I stood in the pulpit and we have a psalmist declaring a bitter end for those who are wicked, for those who are unbelievers, as it were. And he's calling us back to the goodness of God. So I do pray that for us here, if we, do, if we don't know Christ, uh, I, pray that we do know, I pray that we would know him. For he is indeed all that we have. He is all that matters. And I pray for those of us that are believers that we remember the gospel and that we remember that there is hope in Christ. Like I said, regardless of situation, regardless of circumstance, that there is hope in Christ. One quote from um, uh, Michael Horton. Uh, Actually, I should give props to Brandon uh, for this. I hadn't come across it before. Um, So it it talks about applying things, our lives, from the Bible, as it were. Uh, And it, it says the goal is not to relate the Bible to our experience, but vice versa. We must set out to make our lives relevant to the biblical story, not the biblical story to our lives. And I, and, I, and I, mentioned, I mentioned that to say that let's not look necessarily at this psalm as a pragmatic approach to solving life's problems. A plus B equals C. And if we go into the sanctuary of God and then two weeks later, you know, we'll have an easy, convenient life. You know, that's not, that's not the point here. Um, the point here is that we go into the sanctuary of God so that what? So that we can hear and know and learn and grow and worship God, as I said, as God, not as giver of gifts or not as giver of ease and convenience. Like I said, what we do here matters, and what we do here has eternal consequences. So I'm not trying to make light of the things that we may be going through, but regardless, again, regardless of circumstance or situation, that we look to God. Because you know what? Our heart and our flesh, they may fail. Our friends may fail. Our marriages may fail. Our bank account may fail. Our jobs may fail. All the things of life that can fail, but Christ can't and Christ won't. And that is where our hope should be if it's not. Father, we, again, give you great thanks and honor and glory 
for your son, for he is indeed amazing, and that he is worth it all. To know him. We pray that you work in our hearts and that you grant us repentance for wanting things that may not matter. For desiring things that will pass away more than desiring you. We pray that you strengthen us. We pray that you encourage us and that you lead us, Father. That the Spirit would work in our lives to renew our minds, to transform us, to become more like Christ, so that we will honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. We give you great thanks because we know that you are faithful and that you will never fail. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.